Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. Hi, everybody. So I am Amber Kenyon, and we are a little bit fuzzy today, and I hope our mic is working properly because we are coming to you from El Cisca, Colombia. We will still have after networking networking, so we will be leaving the room open if you guys want to stay around and chat. However, Steve and I might not be able to be available for that. And Troy, well, of course, a, you're always welcome to stay if you want. If there's a hot tub calling, you better get there. <laughs> <laughs> no hot tub, but we could probably do a fire and some guitar outside. Nice. Um, Anyway, so yes, as we get rolling here, I want to take the time. So I'm with Gateway Research Organization. GROW is a nonprofit research association based out of Westlock, Alberta. And we do a whole bunch of different things. We do some plot trials with different types of crops. Um, We have our heifer pasture that we run and we do a lot of extension. So my job is actually extension with Gateway Research Organization. And tonight we have, because we didn't know how trustworthy our internet was going to be, Sandeep is the general manager at Grow. Sandeep, you want to give a wave and smile? Hi, and I'll just introduce with like, uh, I have been watching these from back and mostly next days, all these talks. And Steve and Amber are very, you know, helpful in running this show. So uh, today I'm just filling up the shoes uh, just to record things as they go in case uh, uh, the internet breaks when they are there. So at least we are trying to keep our conversation continue. As a gateway research organization, we do a lot of applied research uh, plot work. And even we work with the farmers uh, for field research trials. So in the last four or five years, we have grown from about 10 trials to 50 trials, and we are hopefully will be continuing growing with the support from producers and government and local local producers are the main, you know, uh, backbone of what we are doing. So with that, uh, I'll let Amber introduce our guest of the night. So we have, of course, Steve Kenyon with Greener Pastures Ranching. And as you can tell, I know him pretty well. Um, so he is, runs Greener Pastures Ranching and he is one of our partners in running these Wednesday night networking nights. And then we have Troy Bishop with us tonight. So Troy is known as the grass whisperer, which kind of says it all right there. So first I'm going to let Steve talk about Greener Pastures Ranching a little bit, and then we'll have Troy introduce himself and the topic of the night. Hi, I'm uh, Steve Kenyon, and I don't really talk very much about myself. Greener Pastures Ranching is just a custom grazing operation. We custom graze cattle and we do some educational things in the uh, in the winter time so really needed to start up some networking here when when covid hit it just uh was lacking in all of our zoom webinars and our you know all the different meetings we we're in there was no personal networking and that was a big problem for me I, I i like to see people and talk to people and and you know that's where most of my education has come over the years so this wednesday night networking has just been a blessing for us during this last couple of years and uh Pretty happy to be a part of it. So really excited to have Troy Bishop on here tonight, the Grass Whisperer. We're going to talk about some water systems, and and I know Troy's done a lot on water systems. So really excited. If you guys have any questions between him and I, I'm sure we got uh, probably three, four, five hundred water systems we've set up together. Probably Troy. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I added up uh, one time for myself. I've done over a hundred water systems just on my property alone. 
uh, plus wow. all the ones I've consulted on and helped people with. And, um, so yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot of water systems that, we, that we've set up. So, um, Troy, uh, give us a little, uh, rundown of who you are and where you're at and, uh, then give us what your opinion is on water systems and, and what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay. Hey everybody. Thanks for coming in. Um, I've been a regular or tried to be pretty excited to see the actually be asked to, to be on. I know I'm kind of a fill in. I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Am I qualified? Not really, but I show up anyway and, and do the work. So uh, Bishop Family Farms here in the east, a little it's a little baby farm for you big time ranchers out there. Uh, Steve actually came to our neighborhood a couple times. And so we shot the shit a little bit and uh, became friends. We, we custom graze grass finished beef. Uh, I'm a custom grazer similar to Steve, but I, I only have 50 or 60. That keeps our farm profitable. I'm also employed by a conservation district, so you can uh, you can feel free to pick on the the agency guy. So in that role, it's been 16 years since I've been at the district. I'm the grazing guy for the uh, Madison County Soil and Water Conservation District, which again uh, is right in the center of the state, a little bit south of Syracuse, and our service area basically goes from the uh, route 20 corridor or the throughway down right through um, Pennsylvania. Cause we're part of the upper Susquehanna coalition protecting the Chesapeake Bay and the water quality and blah, 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 blah. So as the grazing guy, um, I get to put some uh, stuff on the ground. I do the planning. Um, I'm the Jack of all trades. I pound the posts, I build the fence, uh, write the grants, do the outreach, and I've had the opportunity to put in quite a few of these uh, water systems. What is the system? I don't know. It works. So that that's the key ingredient. The district has a couple of technicians. One of them is my boss. I have uh, Andy, Carl. They're they're the one that run the numbers to to make things fly, and I get to put it in. Generally, I get to put the pipe in the ground, get in the trench, whatever needs to be done. Um, I'm not really that bright. So the trench is really a good place for me. But what is generally accepted is I've been at this long enough on my own farm, on other farms, and through the district on customers' farms is I know what's possible. So when somebody says, can you get water over there? Yep. Uh, what kind of water system do you use? The one that works. So everyone, uh, we, we talked about this today, a lot of farmers, um, and probably since you're in Canada, this is not applicable to you. We tend to have a um, champagne taste on a beer budget. When, uh, when someone says, can you fix this? Uh, can you get me water over there? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I look around the farm, I grab a shovel, I go over to the stream and I get a uh, mineral tub and I poke some holes in it and put some water pipe through it, make a little dam, get it over to a tub, put a float on it. And I say, there, I've, I've solved your water delivery problem. And they say, no, no, I, I want the government one, you know, the fancy pumps and the, the pipes and the, but I said, Hey, 
I just spent an hour to get water piped over someplace. Isn't that good enough? I work in a space where we have to deliver water. So when we talk about that, this water pasture stuff, um, I, I'm going to pick on Steve a little bit. I'm always inter interested in what's the goal. Why are we delivering and what's the budget? So, and how many cows, when do you need this water? Do you need, um, do you need it above ground, below ground? Uh, do you need it in the winter? We've actually morphed a lot of stuff now is above ground just because it needs to be more flexible. And if it breaks, you can fix it yourself. If it breaks underground, you got to have a backhoe. What I've witnessed over the last 16 odd years is there is a lot of garden hose out there. And garden hose is really expensive. Piping three quarter inch black plastic or poly pipe, one inch is a heck of a lot cheaper to deliver water than garden hose. So people use it, but I still say you should go and price price these pieces of pipe because you can lay water down at, at least over in my neighborhood right now. I know prices are up, but you can lay water pipe for 50 cents a foot. I did a quick survey of what things we look at when we're putting water in. And I'm just going to read down my list here to get your questions coming. One of the, uh, you'll see that we have a design uh, criteria. We use it pretty much every day. It's it's actually quite simple. You can plug your what you need into the spreadsheet and it'll actually self-calculate. I'm sure I gave it to Amber and Steve. So our technicians, we do a lot of planning right off Google Earth. So Google Earth provides you with elevations. So that, that's a big key to designing your own water or figuring elevations out. Um, and then there's... You need a pump size. Uh, you, if you're dealing with wells, you need to know what casing, uh, what pump is down in there, how many feet down, what's the recovery rates, stuff like that. Um, and once we have knowns, then we look at friction. So pumping uphill, going downhill, the friction in the pipe, you got to upsize the pipe, downsize the pipe. What's significant about this is we need to deliver the water at all times. So what we've actually done over these 16 years is um, we've done a lot of piping and a lot of pumping because springs and spring developments and uh, things that farmers say, yeah, that spring's never gone dry. It looks great in May and June and in August, September, there's no water. And we have to have, if we're gonna spend money and do stuff, we have to have it all the time working. One thing I we we've pumped. If you look at my YouTube video, we've pumped really high in the air uh, up these huge hills. What I neglected to do is put in uh, shutoffs and backflow. So when uh, there's a problem down below, I don't know how many baths I've taken, but when you have an inch, inch and a quarter full of water for uh, two or three thousand feet, you're going to get wet. So the, there's going to be tricks and trade tricks uh, that you might want to consider <laughs> as we talk, but there hasn't been one time where we couldn't deliver water. 
and our uh, the folks that I work with, they're great. And I get to put it on the ground and they push the pump and the water comes out the pipe and we get it to a tub. So there hasn't been one time that it hasn't hasn't happened. That design criteria going forward, if you're going up hills and valleys, is something you probably should look at. Um, I looked today on YouTube. I mean, there's literally thousands of water system pieces and information. So it's not like you're living in a vacuum. Uh, one thing I don't like doing, and I, I will do almost anything not to, is haul water. Uh, that's one of my banes. I do not haul water. I'd rather pump it or do anything but to um, pump the water. So um, I had a I had a couple of questions uh, for the audience. And one of them was, if you were to store water for your animals, how long would you leave that in a storage unit above ground? How many days would you consider that to be fresh and not, not, is it too warm? Will the animals not drink it? Will you be concerned about health? So that, that's kind of a question that we're sort of wrestling with as we we're looking a lot of times we have uh, we need some kind of storage because we got too many animals and not enough flow. And that's one of our uh, one of our challenges. Anything else, Steve? Yeah, no. Great. Uh, Troy, uh, don't let him fool you. Um, he's very qualified for this. <laughs> he's done a lot of water systems. So thanks, Troy. My water system experience, what I've found is I want to put money into the most reliable system, right? If you've got a dugout that's going to be dry seven out of 10 years, probably better to find another water source. Um, I want something that's reliable. Um, and I, I'd rather spend a little bit more money on something that's reliable. So um, like I said, I've done all sorts of different types of water systems. Probably the one I've done the least is a pipeline. Um, and the reason is I'm a custom grazer on, on rented land. Uh, I don't put a lot of uh, money into something that I can't take with me if I lose the land. So that's probably the one that I've done the least of, but I do a lot of gas powered pumps, generators with, with pumps, some solar systems. My favorite is actually a gravity flow. Um, no pump required other than maybe to get it started. If I can set one of those up, that's my, uh, my favorite. I, I remember years ago, I had a solar system set up at a site and it, it was there for probably six or seven years, never even looked, thought about it. I think I remember reading a book, uh, one of Greg Judy's books, and he talked about this gravity or free flow gravity system. I'm like, really? How does that work? And then I went to this site and looked at it. It, it would have worked perfect. All I would have had to do is move my trough about a hundred yards. And then it, I wouldn't have needed a pump. I wouldn't have needed that expensive water system. So cheaper is better as long as it's uh, reliable. So reliability is my number one priority. Cheaper, you know, cheap is probably my second quality. <laughs> uh, it's it's easy when things uh, are pretty straightforward. Um, I have all these stories of things that didn't didn't go straightforward like uh, siphon systems, gravity, pumping or getting water out of a stream, you know, apples getting in the screen, you know, there, there's, uh, there's more that you have to adapt than just, I mean, if I could just um, tap into a, a, a pump at the barn and just pipe it, I mean, that's a dream. There's not a whole lot of thinking. It's the uh, it's going up a big mountain or going down in a big valley and then back up a mountain um, and then delivering every time you put a spigot in, you basically create friction. And then uh, then at the end, 
are you deliver how many gallons per minute are you actually delivering to the tub? Uh, the, there are just so many little stories. That's why you can't hardly do justice in an hour. There's so many tools in the toolbox. That's what's great that we get to talk about that. And one of our least used and least favorite is actually solar because um, it is quite expensive comparatively to gravity and siphon systems and uh, other forms. Um, and then apparently hunters like shooting at solar. So we have, uh, you know, we have snow load um, in the fall. We have uh, hunters taking pot shots. They can leave. They somehow have legs. So so there's there's definitely some concerns there. And there's some maintenance. If the farmer is in a remote area, but he's not checking his, you know, the maintenance part, he's not doing his due diligence on maintenance. You know, you got to keep checking. That all comes into play on what what do you actually want and how are you going to operate it? Because because the maintenance part is uh, the gravity is the easiest because, you know, you can put a screen on the end and yeah, an apple or a frog or a leaves and stuff. But that's just a shovel. Get it going again. But um, some of these other ones, there's a little bit more maintenance. I think that's a really good point, Troy. And I think that we're going to stay really busy with questions tonight. So <laughs> uh, just let you know, Larry is up next. Larry, are you ready to go? Yes, Andy. had to get in the record. Uh, I'm putting in a, uh, we got a pond, Steve, because of a dugout. Gravity flow, what pump would you, re- what uh, float would you recommend putting on a 100-gallon tank? Oh, you had to ask me that. And I should have had, um, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, it's called Neville Supply. Um, it's, it's basically a full flow valve. It's brass with a, um, I don't even know what they call it. It's so simple. Um, do you know, Steve? Because I don't use Job valves or it's basically a brass body with one um, toilet float and an arm. That's pretty much all there is. It's basically a, it's a brass. The one Russ Wilson uses? Yes. Mueller. Okay. Tom's a friend of mine. Tom, text me the name of it and you get a chance on my phone. So the reason, the reason I use that one is because um, I've used Job valves and other valves. Is there the, that particular one um, uh, has no uh, springs or anything in it. And so if you're in gravity, you're going to have, at times dirty water and and that literally will send almost all kinds of water through it okay cool then the other reason that i use those is because that's what the big boys use so when i when you're when you go and you look at a big farm and big ranch you kind of look at what they have um the, the only reason i have those over this many years is because somebody was watering 2000 cows on one tub with a two inch brass valve similar to the one that I use. And he it was probably comes in different sizes too, three yes. quarter, one inch. Yep. What do you, you make a homemade uh, receiver to go in the pond to draw the water out of the pond? Yeah, I mean, depending on if you're going under the pond or over the pond, you know, you have, I mean, they make screens and things to put on the ends you can buy or you can make your own. Um, okay. You know, we always, we always have a cement block or something. You got to keep it off the bottom. But 
I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Hopefully you want it, want it right below the surface, maybe put below the surface. Oh, no, we got it down in. Okay. We want it cold. Oh, that's a good idea. We don't yeah. want it up what, on top. One question that uh, have Amish friends we visit in Ohio, they use a lot of ram pumps. Have you ever used a ram pump? I have, and uh, I've had I've had a dismal experience because I thought uh, my stream was big enough, and I had an inch and a half ram pump. And man, does that take a lot of water to run? Yeah. And my stream would be fine in the spring, and then it took a lot of water to make that thing run. Um, I actually gave it away because I mean that was back in the day, uh, Larry, way back. <laughs> When ram pumps were just coming on the scene from uh, Virginia, we all had to have one because we were like, yeah. "Oh, this is the best," and and uh, mine failed miserably, but it was fun to try anyway. Was it homemade or did you buy one? No, I bought one. PVC. I think there is the ram company still around in Virginia because that's where I got it from. Larry, my two cents in there. One of the biggest things about water systems, it's problem solving right? You're constantly problem solving. Um, ask Amber how much she loves water systems. When I'm doing a gravity flow, the problems that you're going to have is debris of some kind. Yes. Okay. So the float in the trough itself, that's going to be at the downside of this system. Uh, I've had all sorts of stuff caught in float valves. Okay. If I've got the little, I may think I've had the Gallagher ones. I've had the diaphragm valves. You get all sorts of stuff that plug those up. Um, I've had frog's legs, leeches, leaves, all sorts of things. So that valve, if you're on a gravity flow where you're going to have possible debris in your water, it's got to open up fully. Okay, yeah. So I have a homemade valve that I make just out of a inch and a half fitting with a with a ball on it is ideal. I will add, yeah, I'll add a link to the chat here so people can go see it. I've also got a water systems video that I can put on my Facebook. If anybody from the podcast wants to go look at it, it'll be on there. But it's got to open up fully to let that debris out. That's the key on that end. Now, on the other end, where the screen is, there's, there's two issues. If you use a very fine screen, well, then you get, um, I get duckweed and grasses and stuff that kind of plug it up. And all of a sudden, you're not intaking enough water and it's going to slow down your water supply if you use a really big screen like let's say it's it's uh i don't know what are we in centimeter a centimeter in diameter holes or what quarter of an inch in in diameter holes that's going to let lots of flow in but it's also going to let all those smaller debris in which could plug the bottom end so you know a fine screen if it's relatively clean water is going to be you know less problems at the valve end but more problems slowing water down at the at the screen end. Um, so we got to be careful on that, kind of match up the float and the screen together so that they work well together. And the other thing um, Troy likes to have is uh, intake screen right close to the bottom. I like to be in the middle somewhere. So what I do is I put a float and a weight on the screen, on the intake end. And whatever height I want the, that screen, I just put a, you know, a longer rope you know, a, a short rope on the weight that'll hold it down under the water and whatever length of rope I want on the float and it'll keep it up, right? That float will stay at the surface. And if I want three feet down, the advantage of that is as the, the water body drops in, you know, like the dugout level goes down, then my float and screen move with it. So if it all of a sudden you get a bunch of rain and it goes up, well, everything moves up with it. So it'll stay at a constant height. 
Say that again. You put a, a light weight anchor. Say that again. Yeah. So there's a weight that basically attaches to my my hose and screen that yes. will keep it under the water. But I also put a float on it so that it's the float will stay at the surface. So I'll I'll keep that inlet somewhere mid, not okay. right on the bottom, but not right on the top. That way, it and it moves up and down with the water level. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like your float. I forgot about that. I'll have to go back and investigate it. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Steve gets pretty mad at me when uh, I throw out jugs of juice, empty jugs of juice. <laughs> so, anyway, um, Nicole Bradford, you're up next. Hi there. I'm going to divert away from the water theme and I'm here to ask about. I heard Steve at a permaculture event a couple of years ago and I want to know what's in the seed mix you were talking about. I want to know what to lay down in this pasture. We've got this old, dry, dead-looking land around here, and we want to start diversifying. So, what what can we what can we sprinkle on there? And what are some tips about that and where to get it? Yeah. So you want the magic bullet? You want the recipe? <laughs> okay. So n- number one, there is no magic bullet. There is no recipe. But given that. It depends on the situation, depends on your location. The number one thing that I need when I've got an old pasture that's wore out and I need to fix it, the number one thing I need is water holding capacity in my environment. So what can I do to get more growth so I can get more residue? You know, a lot of time for me, it's not so much what seeds I put out there, but it's how much residue I can leave. If I take over, and you know, I'm looking right now at taking over probably one of the worst pieces of pasture I've ever seen. I got a, a piece of land that went for sale next to us. And the new, the guy that's thinking about buying it came to me and wants to know if I want to rent it. And it's actually, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if I want to rent it. It's really bad. Like it's the, it's that one that you'd always compare. Like this is your neighbor's really bad pasture. And this is my good one. So it's one of those, like, I don't know if I want to take it. Number one thing that I think I need to do for it is leave it for a year. Let whatever's there grow and leave that residue so I can get some water holding capacity because my my limiting factor is water, big time, right? If I plant a bunch of seeds out there and I don't get the water, it doesn't really matter. Uh, That being said, I normally do broadcast some stuff out there. If it's on an established pasture, right, it's sod, it's, you know, it's not a cultivated field. Things don't catch as well. If you're broadcasting, they, they won't catch as well. So normally what I do is just broadcast a mixture of some legumes. Um, I might throw a few other things in there too, just for fun, but chances are they're not going to catch. In my environment, clovers catch well if if you get some rain. But that's what's normally in my environment. If I, if I get a nice wet year, I'll get clovers to, to catch even when I don't broadcast them out, right? It's just kind of natural there. So my number one question for you then is, what's natural in your environment okay what's what grows when you uh you know in the in the tree lines in the in the edges that's what i would try and encourage to be out there like for example a few years out to ontario and i remember they were asking you know what what should we put in our pasture well i noticed driving through the city there was a bunch of yellow flowers that were growing in the lawns right there were weeds in the lawn and our weeds in our lawn is always white clover. It's just, it's like, everybody hates it. They, it's a weed. They want to get rid of it. 
well, that's a nitrogen fixing uh, legume that's going to help our pastures. The yellow flower in Ontario, in northern Ontario, was bird's foot trefoil. I know Ula's going to like that comment. Um, but so would I suggest for, to them to plant clover or should they maybe do bird's foot trefoil? Uh, what's in your area is more likely, you know, the, the better thing to put in. That being said, I'll put a mixture, you know, broadcast it out there, try and stomp it in. Ideally, time it with some rains. That's that's pretty important. If you, you know, if they're forecasting, a, you know, two days from now that you're going to get a, you know, an inch of rain or more, um, boy, that's a good time to go out and broadcast some seed and then get the cattle out there um, and try and stomp it in. Now, if it's a cultivated field, you got to be more careful with that because it's softer. You don't want to be stomping out there when it's raining, but with a solid sod, an old abused pasture, boy, that half an inch or, or inch of rain is really going to help you step that into the sod. So species, I don't really have an answer for you. Sorry. Um, I can give you some random ones that I've thrown out there, but clovers, alfalfa. Um, if you have crop fields around you, what is the weed in the crop field? <laughs> Plant that. <laughs> Maybe not all of it. But anyway. <laughs> Canada thistle. Make sure you get some Canada thistle seed in there. There you go. <laughs> Troy, what do you got to add to that? I don't have much to add. That's fair. You're the grass whisperer. <laughs> uh, my recipe, I, I don't spread a lot of seed. I honestly, I, um, I really don't. Um, I spread hay and mob and, and take what uh, nature gives me. Of course, we're in the Northeast with 50 inches of rain. So it sort of depends on where you are. But again, I consider the same. I, I want to stay in a cool season type environment. Basically, feeding hay on the land is what brings us the grass with without spending any money on seed. Sorry, that's why I subscribe to the the uh, Jim Garrish, the hay, the hay feeding, the hay rolling, and all that. It just makes a great sward. And realistically, while we ha we do do some seeding, and usually it's just broadcasting seed, we don't do a lot of it, right? We do it on, you know, if we want to just throw something out there, we have some seed, then we'll we'll do it. But it's not our primary method of regenerating pastures by any means. It's a supplement. Um, it, it would be like feeding hay. Um, yeah. Well, Troy just said exactly what I said at the beginning. Water is your most important nutrient. And he's in a 50-inch area and he's still putting out hay to get that you know nutrients and water holding capacity so that's that's the issue i have is it's not necessarily the species that we plant out there like what's there's already probably four to five thousand seeds per eight or per square foot out there already it's what we uh, get to germinate and then what we allow to be prolific right we got to favor the conditions for the good seeds and then the undesirables fade out and that's just good grazing management but they don't necessarily fade out. They're still there. Um, and you see that when weeds come up. So if you really abuse a piece of land, you'll notice that weeds will pop up out of nowhere. Weeds will come up. And it's not because the seeds weren't there on the good years when you didn't abuse the land. They were there the whole time. Just suddenly the conditions became right for them. I, I believe that the uh, we, we have to make recommendations or we're asked to make recommendations. And one of those recommendations, uh, it's hard to make recommendations when um, it doesn't matter what you plan. If your management isn't good, um, you can plant a lot of seed and it can grow, but it's going to go right back to what it was if you're not giving it rest periods and those types of things. And so um, sometimes 
so when you look at a piece of land, it just requires management. That is the recipe. Um, and then the seed and stuff can actually work better once that management comes back to where it is. Um, there is no magic bullet that can handle, especially for our horse customers. They they want to reseed and do all these things. And But if their horses are going to continue to just hammer that pasture, there's no seed that I know of that will survive. So it is it is sort of a human thing, not the animal thing. It's a human thing. It's the management part. So um, save some of your money and just manage, try, try to manage better. That way you can invest in wine. <laughs> and trips to Columbia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very well said, Troy. Uh, next up, we have Dustin Helms. Dustin, are you ready to go? You bet if you guys can hear me. We yep. can. Perfect. All right. So I was just wondering what, uh, Steve and Troy, what your recommendations would be on types and brands of pumps, more so types, I guess, for uh, both like the 12 volt battery solar operation and for the conventional 120, especially when trying to move high volumes of water. Last year was my first year remote watering away from the dugout. diaphragm pumps. That was a nightmare. And I'm swapping to bilge pumps for this year, but uh, I've got a couple of other locations to try out too. So just looking for some ideas. Because it's fresh in my mind. I have a friend, um, a customer. We were going up a pretty good hill and we were drawn out of a pond. So what we ended up designing is a um, submersible pump in the pond itself. Um, I actually think I have that on that website page there, Amber. But anyway, so we we actually built a little shed and put a gas power generator to run that submersible because it just it has so much more volume. So, um, you know, we wired it up, dropped it in the pond, and then we had a, a tank at the top of the hill. That worked incredibly well um, because dollar for dollar, those submersibles really do will pump a lot of water for not much money. I think the total, I think the total was like uh, 600 bucks for the pump. So if we had to buy a, uh, like a gas powered pump, didn't have enough oomph to get it up that hill. So the submersible really did fit the bill on the pump stuff. Um, we, I also wrote down that we really rely on our people. So we have a really, knowledgeable plumber that's been around for 50 years and we have a some really good um plumbing companies where we can get advice and and so we rely on all information to make our best our best guess and i was asking my boss today because he has a farm and he was pumping um from a pond and uh, he was using a two inch gas powered pump and it only has so much head that it'll pump to. And from Google Earth, you can tell what the elevation is. And, and so he basically had to move things down to, to uh, make that thing work. So there's a little critiquing there of what will get the job done. But for high volume, um, we're, we're going with submersible pretty much all the way. Yeah, well said, Troy. Um we use a lot of gas powered pumps and I've switched to actually a generator with a submersible pump uh, to replace my gas powered pump. The main reason why there there's two parts to it, right? A gas powered pump has a pump part and an engine part. If one of them breaks, I've got to go get a new one. 
Whereas if I have a generator with a stump pump, well, I've got the two components. If one breaks, I can go switch it out. Plus when I have a generator, there's so many more uses for a generator, right? I get into the fall, things are freezing up. I can throw a, a floating heater in the tank, right? Run the generator and thaw it out while they're, while they're drinking. I mean, there's so many more uses for that generator. So the key to the, or one of the problems I've had with the generator and submersible pump, or basically it's a sewer pump, right? Like a sump pump. That's what I, I usually buy. I mean, the, the more expensive you put into it, the better the pump, the higher it's going to pump. But it doesn't have a check valve. So be, be wary if you're using a, one of those sump pumps, you pump up into a tank, when everything shuts off, everything flows back out into the dugout. <laughs> so you'd have to put a check valve in with the, with the submersible or the sump pump so that it holds the water into, into your tank. Whereas with a gas-powered pump, it already has a check valve built right inside. When that gas-powered pump shuts off, the water will stay in your in your storage tank. It doesn't well, drain back out. I, that's a great point because I, I wrote that down. You know, check valves not only to have for that, and also to have one so you don't get soaking wet when you're trying to fix something. <laughs> a very yeah. very important uh, little item. Um, you're you usually get that experience about right after you need it. <laughs> you learn you learn a lot from uh, mistakes uh the but other again of- the dollar the dollar if you if you um the dollar per dollar pumping that, that's why we went the sort of the way you went steve a dollar per dollar um we get so much more for that same dollar so it it, it was almost a no-brainer but it did you know design wise you have to you know make again make sure everything the elevations are checked. Do you, do you have the um, the design stuff I sent you? Yes, um, I can't share that in chat because it's a Excel okay. program or a okay. file. But what what we can do is, if anybody wants to email me, I'm sure they could email Troy as well. Uh, we could forward that on to you. So it's a calculator that helps you figure out distance elevation, pump size, number of cattle, things like that. Right, Troy? And if if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> no question about it. Great, fellas. Uh, we had a question about tips on priming gravity or siphon systems. Um, well, I'll take that because um, that, again, is another uh, concern or uh, uh, another trick. We had one where we were going to come out of a pond. We were going to do come right out of the overflow. And lo and behold, the farmer said, oh, that never goes dry. And there was no water coming out of the water. Uh, over the overflow. So then we had to go to a siphon system. So what we ended up making, I, again, I think it's in my uh, YouTube video there, is we basically make a short hose. I think I've seen this on YouTube on other other people doing it. It's just, is to uh, have a prime right on the bank and you pour the water into a uh, the throat and then you got to shut off, get that all primed and then just throw the throw the switch or throw the um, handle and that just whoosh starts your your prime we also found that that worked great for three or four days and then all of a sudden it wouldn't work and what we discovered is we had to put tape we had to put tape on the because uh, we had a plug there was still a little bit of air getting in that system and air is bad um, when you're doing siphon we actually had to put some Teflon tape or something to keep keep that little bit of air out of it. I, I wouldn't have thought there was going to be that big of a deal, but after about three days, it would stop its 
stop running. Yeah, for sure. Uh, air and siphons do not go well together. A um, couple of the tricks that I've done is I actually use uh, rubber couplings to ju- to make my joints together. They're actually a rubber with hose clamps on them. You can suck those hose clamps up, and because it's soft rubber, it it seals very well. And then I, I have very little chances of something, you know, air sucking in through a through a little gap or something. The cam locks, right? They always end up sucking air. You know, works good for the first six months, and then they wear out a little bit, and the little O ring in there doesn't quite fit right, and then you're sucking air. So, uh, don't like those at all. The other trick that I did for siphoning is at the top, so where your screen's going to be right through the siphon hose where the inlet is, is I actually put the screen onto a valve, then onto the hose. So I've actually got two connections, which you'd think that would be worse, but technically that's all going to be underwater anyway. So there's no chance of getting air into it. If it's got a little bit of a a gap, it's going to suck water. But the reason the valves on there is when I fire up my pump to get it flowing, well, now I got to disconnect the pump and put the screen on it and get it under the water to get it going. So if I've got a valve on there, I can fire up the pump, let it pump. As soon as I shut off the pump, close the valve. It's like putting your thumb on the top of a full straw, right? Because you close the top, the water can't come out the bottom. So by closing that valve, now I've got time, you know, I use my little nut driver there to tighten up the hose clamps and, and put that screen, the weight and the float on, throw it out in the dugout, as I put it under the water, then you open up the valve and then the siphon starts again. So it's a way to give you time because before that, I was always trying to do all that underwater. You get your siphon going, pull it off the pump and put it underwater. Now you got to put all that stuff on underwater. It's awkward and complicated and uh, yeah, much easier. Just put a valve on there first and you can shut it off. Uh, so I, I got a question for you, Steve, or for the audience. We, we've done gravity and siphons um, you know, as much as we can, what we've experienced a couple times is when you go from a hill, then you have to go into a valley and then back up the hill, you get airlocked. Like it, it might go for a while. And then I'm sort of equating it to, should we have like a uh, pressure release valve in the dip to release some of that air? Cause, um, when we go to, uh, you know, cut it or try to fix it. There's a lot of air right there. Do, do you have any experience with that airlock question? I, a little bit. Um, I've had it happen to me before, but I think what I did was just allow the water to flow quite a bit and wash that air out. Right. If it just, I think what happens is if you just let water trickle, right. If it's a slow, uh, you got a, a valve on the end that's, that slows it down. Well, then it it has lots of time. The air can move and, and stay in that bubble, right? In that in that dip over that second hill. If you crack it wide open and let it flow, well, the air can't stay there and just washes it out. So once in a while, you need to crack the bottom open and just let her flow. Like you got to let her go full tilt. So in in my case, with a my homemade float valve that opens up fully, right? As soon as the water goes down, it cracks wide open. And we get a high flow down there. Like it, it comes out with high pressure, um, which pushes all that air out. I think what happens with ours is the float valve shuts off after the cows drank. And then it kind of sits there and it's just like a air bubble waiting to move. 
But the longer that happens, that's why it takes three days. The longer it happens, the more air you get in there. If yeah. every day, the little bit of air that gets in that, bu- that bubble, if you can flush it out every day, then it never stops. But if it's just, if it's slowly trickling into your trough and that air gets to stay there and build up and build up and build up, then all of a sudden you get too much and it stops the system. So having a wide open valve, I think at the bottom should eliminate that more often. Great guys. I'm going to move us along because Steve does have to leave here right away. And I think the next question is actually for him. Uh, BJ, are you ready to go? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Sure can. Steve, a couple things, I guess on that last question. I mean, I'm a pipe fitter and welder by trade. That was a plumber and all kinds of stuff on the top of your hills. If you stuck some high point vents in, that would help push your water out on the top of your hill. And it would eliminate your air bubble. So if you put a high point vent in when you start, when you charge your line and you start your siphon, if you would open that vent on your high point, you'll get all the air out of your line and you won't have that bubble any longer. So, and Steve's right, every day that you're you're trickling a little bit, it's letting that air bubble just build up a little bit bigger, but you really, it's hard to overcome the top of the hill because of your siphon. And without that, with that air trapped, you'll end up, just stuck there nowhere to get it out um same with long gravity feed runs if you take those in and typically we would put a a vent in those to help them drain out so you get a spot for um just the air that's getting in your line to get out so you could go up and burp your high point vent um every couple days and you would you'd probably find you wouldn't have that problem anymore either the other question i had i guess was straight for steve i'd seen some of your winter water systems you have them set up on some motion sensors. I, I'm just curious about what those motion sensors are. I, I remember reading some of your stuff on Facebook post about, um, I think they were infrared or something and how that kind of worked into your 12-volt system. Yeah, the the, the system that I ordered the first time, um, I, I'm not sure where it came from the first time I bought the system used, but they, they told me it was a motion sensor. But when I was swinging my hammer in front of it, I was getting mad because it wouldn't turn on. And then I figured out I had to run my hand in front of it. So it actually was like infrared. It, it, it had to register heat. So I know it's turned on when I walk in front of it. When I drive past it, my vehicle has heat. It turned on. But uh, an object with no heat, it, it didn't work. So anyway, um, so I, I, that one I broke. <laughs> uh, and then I ordered another one. And that one I ordered from uh, Kellen. Uh, K-E-L-L-N, and they shipped it to me. I think it cost me just over $500 to get it shipped here. So they're not cheap, uh, but boy, they saved me a lot of labor that winter when I set up my uh, uh, wet well with a motion sensor on it. It did save me a lot of labor time. I didn't have to go down there every day and check it and or go down there every day and pump water. So uh, I was very happy with it. Even though it cost me 500 bucks, it uh, was well worth it for me for that winter. Um, somebody told me one time that you can just take a cheap uh, motion sensor light and pull the lights off it and rewire it to your water system. So I'm curious about trying that someday. You can probably buy one of them for 30 bucks and, you know. I guess I wasn't sure if you were running on 12 volt, how it would, you know, if that would power the motion sensor or not. That's where I confusion was, or were you wired into direct electricity or not? I thought you were on like a 12 volt battery yeah. and, and solar system type deal. Yes, it was 12 volt. I was running it off solar panels. 
So yeah. you have to, you know, I, I'm guessing you'd have to buy the the one that's rigged up for 12 volt. Um, don't buy the the motion yep. sensor light for 110 volt and then try and put it on 12 volt. I don't know. Maybe it'll work. But yeah, mine it's was a 12 cheap trial, really, I guess. Yeah. Uh, cheap isn't always the best. I mean, I prefer cheap, but I also don't want the headaches of of it going down. The 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 problem I've had with solar systems in the past is, you know, in Canada, we just don't have the sun. If, if down here in Colombia, I do great with it, I'm pretty sure, but I don't get to stay here. But uh yeah, make sure that it's probably, you know, use the 12 volt version for the 12 volt system and the 110 volt for the 110 volt system. Okay. Troy, do you have anything to add there? Nope. Nope. Okay. Go. Next up, we have Lynn Rankin. Steve has to take off now. So you're stuck with me and Troy for the next little bit, but we are going to stop the recorded session. Probably maybe we'll take one more question and then we'll go into after networking, networking. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you bet. Great. I've got a little, I wouldn't even, nest, I mean, I suppose it's kind of a Creek, you know, it's a water course and it, um, comes under the road from my neighbor's property. I'm assuming they have a spring. There are some dammed ponds up up on their side. I haven't gotten to see uh, over a long period of time. I So far, there seems to always be water in it, but not necessarily a lot. Maybe um, anything from, you know, a couple of inches to, I don't know, a half a foot, depending on where I look at it. Is there any point in trying to get water out of that up the hill? Uh, the hill is, it probably need to go up an elevation of 20 to 30 feet across 40 acres, a 40 acre square. Otherwise I'd just bring, I'd have to bring the cattle down to it, which I know is not ideal. So do you have, are you in the States or are you in Canada? I'm in Oklahoma. Okay. I'm just wondering about your, um, your professional network that can help you vet your decisions out because I'm I'm a uh, farmer by trade and I'm I'm I know what your situation is and I'm thinking when I was at Joel Salatin's he had a uh, bass pump that uh, was a 12 volt bass pump and mm-hmm. he he basically all he he had a, uh, a, st- a stream and he had just a little collection area you know just mm-hmm. just enough to keep that bilge pump and then he, and then it would pump so many feet. Um, what what it actually was, I didn't know, but it was cool because it was um, a car battery, and he just and it worked. It really did. So then you could say, well, I have to overcome higher head. So that's where maybe gas or a solar, but you still need some kind of a vessel to to collect that water because if you start pumping, you're going to pump it dry, and right. and so. Um, that's where uh, we we have done uh, various uh, weird stream stuff where you uh, get the because uh, you're we're always bound by, you know, not messing up streams. We, we might put a uh, piece of tile in the stream and then that that piece of tile, uh, the water collect goes through the holes and the water collects and goes over to the side. So we might have a tank or a, a concrete tank or something that'll hold let's say at least a couple hundred gallons of water, then we pump it from there. And the, I will say that that, that is a, uh, you know, a maintenance nightmare because depending on the climate event, um, it'll fill in with gravel, uh, you know, at least the tile will. 
And, and so we've tried, uh, you know, we tried putting a sock over the tile um, to keep, but it, it is sort of a nightmare. That's mm. why it's nice to have a tank that's shallow because you're going to go in there with a shovel. <laughs> it's working in streams. It's difficult because you're always going to have trash leaves and things of that nature. But yes. Um, so that's sort of a design thing. What, what had do you actually have to overcome? And that that's where the pipes, the pipe size would come into play. Like if you uh, don't want a lot of friction, you might actually use a bigger diameter pipe. So it, the pump doesn't have to work very hard. So, so gotcha. again, all those kind of play into, you can do it. Um, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a, uh, it just takes running a few numbers or, if you know somebody that has a, a gas powered pump or whatever, borrow it like a little water bug that costs $110, borrow it, hook it up and see if it works. <laughs> Question on that, Troy, would you be better off putting a tank up on the top of the hill or uh, raising it up somehow sure. and gravity sure. flowing out of that? Like maybe she, that would be a better solution. If you, if, you know, if she said the landowner was up higher, you know, that's where diplomacy might help. Um, where you can, uh, you know, go up into their land some with a piece of pipe or something. I look at streams as, uh, at least I look at our streams as the stream part, bringing the animals to the stream is a strategy. Um, that's the that's the strategy where when the pump breaks or freezes or all petulance happens, I have a gate at the stream and I open it um, just like that. I don't even think about it. They need water pretty much on every facility. We always think about the, uh, the shit show. It's going to happen. That's just the way it is, but you can design that. You definitely, um, I would, I would hook up with Oklahoma's some NRCS folks or soil and water folks or somebody that does pumps and, and, uh, you'll get, you'll get really good information. I think. Thank you both. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, next, we have Brick. Are you ready to go, Brick? Yeah. Hey. Okay, uh, in the chat, I asked, uh, how do you use Google Maps or Google Earth to figure out elevation? And then I guess maybe even to get a little more specific on that is, do you have like some guidelines or somewhere someone can go to get all those pump and head and friction calculations so I can buy the right equipment and buy the right pump the first time? and know it'll work instead of just trial and error. So what I would do is uh, email Steve, because I sent him our stuff. Just email, hey, give me the darn pump stuff that Troy sent you. Let him get that because you basically, it'll ask you what information you need and you basically go get it. So the Google Earth thing, um, if you just hover, you know, I'm on a PC, so it's a little, might be different than a smartphone. But when I hover over, let's say a stream, that'll give me an elevation. It's over in the right-hand corner somewhere. <laughs> and then you go to a place where you want to deliver said water, there'll be another elevation. And so between those two points is your elevation. That will be, uh, that will be something that, that that template will ask you. It ain't perfect um, because Google Earth isn't perfect, but Overall, we've been very successful because otherwise you have to go out with a survey crew, you know, and get shots. And we have done that. But a lot of this stuff can be done from Google Earth and it's close enough. But again, that 
that form that I sent Steve is is uh, invaluable. And I'm sure um, in the States and maybe in Canada, there are people that probably have the same or very similar. Um, what's interesting is, is uh, you know, in my years of conservation, I was I was not aware of said said thing. And what ended up happening is why are you keeping it a secret? Like this is public information. Why aren't you sharing this? This is a really good tool. Let's all learn. And it's sort of like um, uh, it's buried in the uh, the agency's handbook. And I'm saying let, let it have light, so so you can actually go and put in your coordinates and and you know get in the ballpark. So the the best part, if you get in the ballpark, then maybe you reach out to somebody for some advice before you spend one dime that that's where, you know, did I do this right? You know, you can take that same design, you can print it out on your computer, your printer at home. You can take that to a uh, plumbing place or your plumber and they can look at it and they can understand it. So again, really nice tool. Um, We seem to uh, have coveted it back at the agencies and I'm, I'm sort of like, let it be free, free help. (laughs) We want to help. That sounds great. And yes, Steve will be able to get you any of those links. Um, Another thing that you can do for elevation, I actually use an app. It's for hiking, but it gives you all the elevations. It's called All Trails. And so, I mean, it would even tell you the difference in elevation if you were to walk from one spot to another, but you can actually see what elevation you're at. For instance, we're at like 2,700 meters right now. We're pretty high up. So that's another option and it's free to use and you can use that out in the field. There's so, so many great tools now. It's it's Mm -hmm. mind boggling, really. There really is. So I am going to cut the recorded part of the session short, guys. And I apologize. Troy, are there any last comments? I won't say last words because that sounds terrible. Uh, are there any last comments that you want to make and to just encourage people as they go and try out their new or different water systems? What I can say is there is a heck of a lot of good resources. So don't go it alone. Uh, Again, YouTube is one of my favorite resources. There are so many people doing water systems that you don't have to recreate the wheel. But if there are little nuances, that's where um, somebody that's reputable, that's head of has experience that you can go and talk to. Again, vet out the budget. Some things can be really expensive and uh, other things can work just as just as well. And, and again, we need water all the time. So, so you might have to spend a little bit more for, for something, but you need guaranteed water, especially in the hot weather. You can't, you can't mess around. Um, that's when we need it the most, and that's when it fails the most. It's always, the springs are always great in the spring, <laughs> and they're always great in the fall. But we really need one, so, so you got to go for 100%. And then you should have a backup plan. Thanks. That's awesome.
That's perfect. I would, I would also just add to make sure you do your economics on any water system you're looking at purchasing. I mean, you look at some of the ones that are out there, the nose pumps, fantastic idea. Um, if you have a really small herd, you know, then it's doable when we have, you know, 1400 head going across 3,500 acres. I'm sorry. That's just not going to be economical in any way. Uh, so do, do your numbers before you buy them. Cool. And with that, thank you, Troy, so yeah, much for you. being here. So, yes, thank you, everybody. And everyone who's been online tonight this has been fantastic. We are going to leave the room open. So feel free to talk, because even if your question may not have been answered within this formal session, often your best answers are going to come from, well, I would say your neighbors. But in this case, we are very long distance neighbors. I know with like Larry and Georgia and Tom and <laughs> with everybody, we might be long distance neighbors, but we're still neighbors. And I think that it's really important to do the network and to make sure that you're talking with one another because we've all tried something different and it'll give us all a different opportunity to try something new.